Well, good morning. Yeah, I didn't expect you to have too much left at the end of Thanksgiving weekend. It's just a crazy time in our culture, isn't it? A time where we stop and Thursday and we give thanks for everything we have, and then on Friday we rush out to get everything we don't have. And while we're indulging ourselves with as much food and perhaps football or whatever as you can possibly take in. So by the time it gets to Sunday morning, I know we're all kind of like, and we look at the calendar and tomorrow's Monday and we start again. So I'm only going to keep you a little while this morning, but I really feel like God has laid something on my heart. It's not necessarily a long message, but I think it's an important message for us to hear. So I won't keep you as long as the LSU-Texas A&M football game yesterday. <laughs> Do you see that? Seven overtimes. The final score was 74 to 72, the most points ever scored in a college game. Crazy. See, even American football is no longer American football. This morning, we are going to recap the Kudos series that we've been going through, our series about gratitude. And just to recap it for you briefly as we head into the final message, we started with the idea, J.R. Briggs teaching us of the importance of gratitude, remember? Talking about how important it is to come back and say thank you. We're all grateful for what's been done, but how many times do we keep that gratitude internal and not really express it? Important to recognize the source, important to give thanks to the source of everything that we have. And then Alex helped us understand how to nurture gratitude in difficult and painful times. Because that's the reality of life often, isn't it? That we are in a tough situation, we are in circumstances that seem beyond our control, and we need to recognize that they're not beyond the control of the one who made us, and the one who loves us, and the one who sustains us. And so we can have gratitude because he has promised that in all things, he will work together for our good. Amen? Yeah, hopefully that still excites us. And then last week, Alex was telling us how gratitude changes us from the inside out. Anybody dance like it's 1999 this week? Stop and smell the roses, whistle a happy tune, all those things. How, how it changes us from the inside out. And today, we're going to finish by talking about that outside. In other words, where does gratefulness lead us? Where does gratitude take us? What does gratitude make possible in our lives? Because it's one thing to have a feeling, isn't it? I got to share with you, I got to give a shout out to us. Amy and I, tomorrow, will be celebrating our 25th anniversary. Yeah. And in this relationship, I can feel something inside for her, right? I can feel what we call love. I can feel special about her. And then I can even go to the next step and tell her I love her. And then the question is, what else do I do? How else do I actually let it out in a way that's tangible not only to her, but really to anybody else who's watching our relationship. It's the same thing with gratitude. We can feel gratitude. We can have an emotion, right? And we can express that emotion through words. But where else can gratitude lead us? What else does God have in mind for us being a people who are Thanksgiving people? Alex said last week, one of his points was this, grateful people are more aware of what God is doing. 
Grateful people are more aware of what God is doing. So I ask you, what is God doing? Is God just up there in heaven waiting for us to live out our lives and then come and see him, pay him an eternal visit? Or is God doing something on the earth through your life, through my life, through the life of Generation Church, the life of all the Christian churches? Does he have a plan and a purpose? The answer, of course, is yes. God is establishing his kingdom on earth through the church doing his will as it is in heaven. Right? In other words, if, if you really understand what this book, the Bible, is all about, it really is a narrative, a story of God taking us from creation to new creation. And along the way, he calls people to himself to be instruments through which that new creation becomes evident to all the other people whose eyes do not yet see, the ones who are still in darkness, as Ken just said. And we are the grateful ones who have been brought out of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son he loves. That's worth being grateful for, isn't it? But it's just a matter of us going into some sort of hibernation, some sort of Christian enclave and wait for all of the bad stuff to pass and then get to go up to be with him. No, we are the new creation. We are the evidence of what God is trying to tell all that he has made. And so we have a very important and special role as grateful people to be aware of what God is doing. And as we become more aware of God's purpose and God's plan for us as his body, then our lives should become ever more willing and eager to join him in that work, right? There should be a progression in our relationship, in our willingness to lay ourselves down, in our willingness to serve God in his purposes. So the message that I'm sharing with you today, I've entitled Building on Gratitude. Building on Gratitude. And I'm going to give you the takeaway right away. Here's what we need to understand. Grateful people are generous people, giving freely of themselves to shape and form the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. Grateful people are generous people, giving freely of themselves to shape and form the kingdom of God. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is the one who builds his church, right? And he told us especially, we don't have to figure out how to do it. We're not even responsible for how it looks or how it turns out. Our responsibility as grateful people is to simply contribute, to offer ourselves as building material. Anybody here in the construction industry? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> One thing I do know is that you have to build with good material, right? You have to have good bricks. You have to have solid wood. You have to have pure concrete. All of those things are necessary or else your structure is in trouble. It becomes vulnerable. Think for a second. Let's talk about spiritual architecture. What's the most beautiful church you've ever seen? Any of your travels, any of the times where you've been able to visit other cities or go by, what's, what's the most beautiful church you've ever seen? I feel very privileged to have seen quite a few around the world, and here's a couple of my, my favorites that I want to show you. The first one here is the Church of the Beatitudes. This is 
on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee in Israel at the traditional spot where they believe Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Beautiful building. The second is the Mission San Carlos Barmeo, which is in Carmel, California. This is one of the numerous churches that Father Runipero Serra set up when the Spanish began to occupy, if that's the right word, California. The third one here is the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. I have actually walked to the top of those spires, 500 and some stairs all the way up. Beautiful Gothic architecture. And then the fourth one, maybe my favorite, is St. Nicholas, Russian Orthodox Church in Chuno, Alaska. Four very unique churches, aren't they? But each beautiful in its own style, each being true to the vision of those who decided they wanted to build it in order to worship their God. But what does it take to build a church? What are some of the things you need if you're going to build a church? Talk back to me. What did you say? Money. What else? Yeah. Materials, right? Whatever, whether it's wood or stone or how about time, effort, skill, focus. In short, what it takes is the contribution of many, right? No one person builds a church. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three construction projects in the Bible to see what we can learn about the important correlation between gratitude and generosity. Okay, so let's join me. The first one we're going to talk about is the building of the wilderness tabernacle. The people of Israel, the people God called through the family line of Abraham to be the ones who were to make him known in the ancient Near East world, have been in slavery in Egypt. And they are liberated from that captivity, and they are delivered from their enemy at the Red Sea by the miraculous parting. And now they find themselves in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And God wants them to build a tabernacle. He calls Moses and says, you need to build a tabernacle. In Exodus 25, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings, accept the contributions from all, listen to this, all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Is that everybody? No, and here's the point. Everybody is invited to participate, but not everyone chooses to participate. You'll see that pattern repeated, not only in Scripture, but in the history of the church, maybe even in our own times. So from all whose hearts are moved to offer them, what is he talking about? He's talking about the people who have the vision. He's talking about the people who are grateful, the people who remember, hey, we used to be slaves. Now we're no longer slaves. The people who understand we were as good as dead at the Red Sea, but somehow God led us through. The people who understand we're not yet embracing the promised land, but even right now we have hearts of gratitude. Even right now we are moved by what God has done for us. 
And so when the call comes to make the contribution, they are already in position. They are already the people whose mindset is in generosity. Moses goes on to say this, have, or God says this in verse 8, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I may live among them. Because you got to know what it is, again, God's trying to do. you got to know the reason what God brought you through and what he's heading towards. So he says, I want you to build this wilderness tabernacle, a holy sanctuary, so that I can live among them. In other words, the tabernacle, and the same thing is true with the temple, the same thing will true as we'll see of the church, is the inhabitants of God. He builds it because in the mindset, it is the place where heaven meets earth. Because in their culture, everybody else had an idol of their God, right? Made out of stone, made out of whatever building material, they would have a big physical representation of who God is. But God had told the people of Israel very clearly in the Ten Commandments, you shall not make an idol. Don't make an image, but instead make a place. Make a place where I can inhabit, where I can be with you permanently. A lot of scholars say that's actually what is being talked about in Genesis 1. That as God creates, it's a temple kind of atmosphere because what happens in Genesis 1? In the garden, God is where? Right with his people. So he says, make this wilderness tabernacle so that I may live among them, a place where heaven and earth are going to meet. That's the story from the beginning all the way to the end because in Revelation 21, we have what's called the New Jerusalem, right? And what happens in the New Jerusalem? There is no temple because God and Jesus are present right with his people. And then we jump ahead after they get the list of materials that they're going to need. If we jump ahead into Exodus 35, it says this, Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts... Present the following gifts to the Lord. Those with generous hearts are invited to participate. Notice it's a heart check issue, isn't it? It's not compulsion. It's not compulsion. Hear this. God does not demand our obedience as much as he invites us to participate in his purposes. If your relationship with God is only about, I have to do this or else he'll smite me, then you misunderstand the very thing we sang so beautifully about a few minutes ago, grace. Grace invites us to participate. Grace invites us to say, come along with me in what I'm doing. And the people who understand grace become grateful. They become generous people. It goes on to say this. Look at how it turns out in verse 20 of Exodus 35. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle. Say all. All the material. They brought it all. 
for the performance of its rituals, for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose heart were willing. Do you see the pattern here? You see what we're driving at? Over in verse 36, as they collect these things, I'm sorry, chapter 36, they collect these things and they begin the process of actually making what God has asked them to make. It says this, Moses gave them the materials donated by the people as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But now get this, but the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen were working on the sanctuary, left their work. They went to Moses and they reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. Isn't that a great thing to hear, Pastor? More than enough. Would you like to see God do more than enough through the life of our church? Would you like to see God do more than enough in the world around us, through us? Every morning they continued. Every morning they had this attitude of generosity. And they bring and they bring and they bring. So Moses gave the command, it said, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions, again, were more than enough to complete the whole project. If you've never had the chance, I encourage you to go to the Mennonite Visitor Center in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever been up there? They have a replica, a full-size replica of the Wilderness Tabernacle. It's big, but it's beautiful. And it shows in great detail all that God had called his people to do. It shows the fruit of their contributions, if you will. It shows the fruit of their generosity as the inhabitants of God in their presence. Make the opportunity to go up there. But here's the point. The people were generous because they were grateful for God's deliverance. Amen. They believed that God saved them. They wanted him with them. They wanted to know that this saving God didn't just open the door in Egypt and let them out and go on their own, but that he would always be present among them. And so they give of themselves. They so want that presence. They're so grateful that God is Emmanuel, God with them, and so grateful for the deliverance that they've had, the salvation of God that they experienced that they couldn't help but give. And so next we're going to jump ahead 500 years. Israel is now in the promised land. They are thriving under King David. It's the golden age of the people of God, if you will. And David is inspired to replace this tent, this mobile temporary tabernacle, with a permanent temple. He wants something that in his mind reflects the glory of the God he's experienced. Just like the Gothic cathedrals of Europe, the one at Cologne, is different than a mission church. 
they've kind of moved on to this idea that we, we want something that reflects the beauty of God that we understand. And architecture is an art form. It's a way of expressing that. And that's what's in David's heart. Yeah, we're grateful that we came out of slavery, but God has done so much more than just save us. Look how he has blessed us. We are materially prospering. We are spiritually prospering. We are living in peace from our enemies. I think I want to build something that really expresses how grateful we are. And so he decides to build the temple. And what do they need? They need material. They need finances. They need skill. They need everybody who wants to, to contribute generously. And David's going to show them how to do it. He's going to be the leader. If we go over to 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 3, it says this. David speaking, Now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. So I'll go first. I'll show you that I'm not just asking you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. But then he does ask them. He says, now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Who's with me? It says in verse 6, Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and all the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. So it starts with the leader. It goes through the leadership team. And all of them are not acting out of compulsion, but regularly acting out of generosity. Verse 9, the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. What leader wouldn't be filled with joy to see people not giving out of fear, not giving stingily, but giving wholeheartedly, contributing with everything that they can? And then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Now listen closely to this prayer. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. This is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. You see them recognizing God as the source here? They're thriving. They're prospering. But David recognizes it's not because of who they are. It's because of who God is. He goes on. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we can only give you what you first gave us. Keep that in mind. That's key. 
We can only give God what God first gives us. We are not the source. We do not have the generative power to produce anything for God. We give you only what you first gave us. We're here for only a moment, he says. Visitors and strangers land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace. You're the source. We're the recipients. We're the stewards of what you've given us. Oh, Lord, our God, even this material we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives. And what's that good motive? Generosity. And I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. Again, I can tell you, nothing touches the heart of a leader than to watch people respond like this. And here's the takeaway. The people were generous because they were grateful for God's provision. They believed that God cared for them. So it brings us to the third construction project in Scripture, building the church. What is the church that Jesus promised that he would build? Obviously, it's no longer a tent or a building, right? It's the assembly of those who answer the call to carry out the purposes of making God known on the earth. That's why we don't have to be in the huge cathedral. We can be in the upstairs room of a two-story building and still be the church. It's not the exterior, but the interior that Jesus promised to build, a people unto himself. We become the very building material of the kingdom of God itself. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Catch this in verse 5. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a brick. (laughs) Yeah. A brick chosen and designed by the creator who loves you and speaks purpose into your very life. The very meaning of your existence is to be joined together with other people to create an inhabitance for the God of the universe. Wow. What's more, Peter says, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. 
Paul also describes it in terms of spiritual architecture when he's writing to the Ephesians. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Doesn't this automatically rule out this whole idea of independent Christianity? That it's just me and God and I can go out in the forest and, and, and be what God's called me to be? You can go out in the forest and you can meet God. I've done that many times. But the purpose of your life is to be joined together with all the other stones, the living stones, that build this temple where God's presence on earth becomes evident. Man, there is no better calling than that. There is nothing more important that you can do with your life than to be joined together to be the inhabitants of God himself. Your life could not have any deeper meaning than that. Isn't that worth giving everything that you possess? Would you not like to be more generous? As generous as you have been or maybe not been to this point, wouldn't you like to become more generous? Understanding that that's what God has given you and called you for and intends to do with you. See, you don't have to. You don't have to participate. You can believe if you want to believe that I've punched my ticket to heaven and when I die, I'm going to be okay. And it really doesn't matter what I do or say or don't do or don't say in this point. But God's offering a beautiful invitation to say, come and join Give generously, contribute, participate in this beautiful new creation that I'm making on the earth. I want you. I love you. Remember when Jesus first sent out the apostles? He had prepared them. He said, I don't want you to take stuff with you. I don't, I don't want you to think you can accommodate yourself on this journey. I want you to go without any of that stuff. And where you go, I want you to do some pretty interesting stuff. It says it this way in Matthew 10. He says, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Dear friends, that is exactly the purpose and mission of the church today. It has not changed. Go and announce to the world that this beautiful thing called the kingdom of heaven has come. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Now, you can debate your theology of whether you think that's for today or not. That's sermon for another morning. But that's what he tells them to do. But here's the key that he says. Give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as 
as you have received. What does freely mean here? It means undeservedly. See, we struggle with generosity sometimes because our motives are wrong. Our, our motive for giving isn't always right. Sometimes we hesitate to give because we think the person we're giving to doesn't deserve it, right? And that's where grace kicks back in. That's where the memory of, hey, wait a minute, I didn't deserve what God's given me either. It's not about them. Sometimes we are motivated to give because, hey, this will make me look really good. And it's about our pride or it's about our ego or it's about wanting to fit in because we see everybody else giving. But that's not what you saw in the two examples, was it? Giving wholly, giving freely, giving generously, giving of themselves. That's what Jesus is commanding us to do. And so the point of it is this, as we comprehend more and more the measure of grace that God has shown us, it should inspire a deeper and deeper generosity from us. Grace unto grace is the way Scripture calls it. It's not about you giving. It's not about them receiving. It's about God inhabiting what we're doing. It's making space for God to come and dwell in his holy temple called the church. It's all about getting into kingdom flow that's already happening. And it will continue happening. Jesus said, I will build my church. You are not going to stop him not being generous. The only question is, are you going to join in the flow or not? You can't stop the flow. Are you going to jump in? Are you going to let God flow into you and then flow through you to others? Oh, yeah, we always sign up for the first part. Give me, Lord. Give me. Bless me. But will we be the blessing? Will we let the generosity flow out to expand and grow the kingdom of God? See, here's the thing. Let me say it to you this way. Grateful people are generous people for three reasons, I think, to sum it up. The first is they're no longer defined by their past. Grateful people are generous people because they're no longer defined by their past. The people of Israel were no longer slaves to Egypt. The people once bound in sin are no longer slaves to sin. That's what he did for us on the cross. You are not who you used to be. God has saved you if you come to Christ in faith. Secondly, generous because they appreciate what they have in the present. Madison Avenue, marketing is all designed to create discontent, isn't it? Everything that has to do with Good Friday is to make you feel, I cannot do without this. It is the exact opposite of gratefulness and gratitude. Recognize the times in which we live and cultivate in your devotional spiritual life appreciation for what you have. That's what this whole series has been about. Know that God cares for you. Thirdly, they anticipate a greater future. The people of Israel moved from slavery to a wilderness that was unknown to a promised land. The people of God, the church, are moving 
from a world that is known to a world that is to come. Not in a separate place, but a redeemed creation, a renewed creation here. And so we anticipate the reality of the kingdom of God coming into play. Jesus said the kingdom is among you. And our future is secure. Our future is beautiful. If you haven't read the last couple chapters of Revelation in a while, go back and read them. Be encouraged. Be inspired. Because that's the point. Is this us? Does this describe you and me today? Do we believe this? Do we believe that God has saved us? Do we believe that God cares for us? Do we believe that God's kingdom is coming into reality through our lives and through the life of our church? Let me tell you how you tell. On your chair, there's a Lego. You like Legos? Ever see that video on Facebook or YouTube where it's called parenting training? And they have them. Yeah, guys on a treadmill, and other guys pouring on bare feet, and the other guys pouring Legos right in front of them. These things are deadly, aren't they? But they make a good sermon illustration. As the worship team comes back up, I want you to take in your hand this piece of Lego that I've given you. This Lego represents, for this morning at least, the sum of who you are. And it represents the sum of everything that you possess, materially, as a skill, as a talent, the sum of your experiences, your thoughts, your ideas, your dreams, all represented by a Lego. Now, there's lots of different colors. There's lots of different shapes out there. There's lots of different sizes among us. And all of that represents the uniqueness and diversity with which God has created you. And it represents the uniqueness of the grace that you have received individually. Okay? So can you put that all into your little piece of plastic this morning? On the table here is a base, and the base represents the church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, like we just read in Ephesians. And the yellow here is the cornerstone, that's Jesus, the cornerstone of the church. The cornerstone is what sets the construction in line so that everything else that builds is the way it needs to be built. Without Jesus, there's no church. And now what I want you to do as the team plays is I want to invite every one of you to come forth, and I want you to add your Lego to this base, joining your Lego to someone else's Lego as you do. Wherever you want to put it, wherever it looks right to you, Come and do that. This is a one-of-a-kind structure. So one-of-a-kind that actually if I asked us, if we repeated this action, it wouldn't look anything like this, would it? This represents Generation Church. 
This represents us coming forward to say, God, you have been so good, so gracious to me. And all that you've done for me, but also what you're doing in the life of our body. And I am joining myself to each of these other living stones, these pieces, so that you can create something beautiful and something unique. And if every church around the world was doing this exercise this morning, they would all be joined together into one big, beautiful body of Christ. But notice that there are still Legos out there on empty chairs. This is not the finished project. This represents where we are today with the generosity that we have given to this point, with the willingness to contribute our lives to the cause of Christ up until this morning. The Legos on the chairs could represent people that we have not yet told about the kingdom, people who God has just not yet moved in their hearts to prepare them for the kingdom. But it also could represent people who said, I'm not going to contribute, people who are holding back, maybe out of fear, maybe out of pride, whatever it is. The missing pieces represent a limitation on our potential. They represent a part of the kingdom that's not yet joined. So let me leave you with this question. Does my contribution to the life of the church. When I say that, I mean, does your giving of your finances, because ministry costs money. See, I'm not the pastor. I can stand up here and say that. Building the kingdom of God requires finances. just does. Does your contribution to the life of our church by serving by saying, I will take on a service in the church, whether it's helping kids, whether it's being a part of the worship team, whatever it is. And does your contribution to the life of the church by caring, and by that I mean, are you willing to invest in somebody else's life? Are you willing to make friends? Are you willing to care about the needs of the people sitting around you? Does your contribution, does my contribution to the life of the church accurately reflect the gratitude that I feel towards Jesus. Scripture says Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. Do we? Again, I promise you there's no greater purpose than that in your life. And I challenge you that as you become more generous, that if you and I are willing to give all, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine 
according to his Holy Spirit at work in us and in Generation Church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this month of focus on gratitude. We thank you for just helping us to understand all that you are and all that you have done. To understand that without you, we can do nothing. But that with you, the very kingdom comes to earth by submitting ourselves generously. Your will unfolds in our lives, in the life of this church, and in this community as this church impacts with the truth. We just ask you to help us to give ourselves more completely, more fully, as an act of faith to step out in a place that's uncomfortable, a place we've not gone before, and with amazement, just watch as you turn our little contribution into a beautiful thing. We believe that, God. And we ask you to do it because we know that it's your will for us. Be honored, be glorified in our lives and in Generation Church forever and forever. And we all together say, Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see you next week.